0: Today on the Everything 80s Podcast, we're going to look at the top nine toy playsets from the 1980s. hey there what's happening welcome back to the everything 80s podcast i'm jamie thanks for coming on out today the toys and action figures of the 80s were amazing tv hadn't totally rotted our brain yet so we had some ability to be imaginative and creative with our toys you would take these action figures outside and create your own little worlds with them Inside, you would also use whatever objects and items you had to create the ideal toy play sets to further your action figure world building. But with the actual toy play sets put out by the companies, nothing could touch them. They took everything you wanted to make these action figures as playable as possible and put it into the sweetest playset your little mind could imagine. So that's what we're going to look at here today. This is a real nostalgia trip. Uh, and... Uh, As I was going through all this, it it was tough to put together a top nine. Um, Some of these, you know, I think all these would have a place somewhere. So, I mean, everyone would have a different potential order, but hopefully you'll look back on some of these things very fondly like I did. Uh, Before we start, though, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I should be there. And if you're a part of Patreon.com, I've got a new movie review coming up in the next week or so. And the only hint I'll give is stay frosty. Which probably gives it away right there. But if you want to know more about Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash 80s. So p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash 80s. Or there's a link wherever you're listening to this on. That's just a way to support the show for like a few bucks a month. And then there's different tiers. And with the different tiers come the different rewards. One of them being the Everything 80s Movie Club. Um, So check that out if you're interested. Okay, let's get to these toy play sets. So, I'm going to sprinkle in a few audio clips from some of the commercials for them, uh, especially the top three. I'll put the, uh, I'll do a clip of each one just so you can look back fondly. So, as you know, as I was saying just in the intro, with these play sets, like we, we saw the full potential of how the specific toy could be played with, like, most optimally also when you watch the commercials and seeing these kids playing with them it, it just sort of you know gave you more ideas of what these worlds could become you know if you're a creative kid you didn't need these toy playsets; you could create anything out of you know just a sandbox or whatever and I sometimes think Hasbro regretted with G.I. Joe that they would show kids playing with the toys and action figures in a more natural setting, as opposed to having them all set on specific play sets. And I remember doing that in my own yard, digging like little trenches and building mounds and creating these like little war zones that would work perfectly for all the GI Joe characters. But, but the play sets just sort of like perfectly utilized what you could do with specific toys. Um, and, You know, just seeing these kids living out your dream in some of these commercials. I mean, some of these playsets, as you'll see when we get to, I had no hope in hell of ever getting. They were too either expensive or lavish or, or whatnot. So let's start here with number nine. And, you know, I'm sure there's ones that I've left out and I apologize for that. But at number nine is... From 1987, the Kenner, the real Ghostbusters Firehouse Headquarters playset. So, I recommend going to the show notes for this episode if you want to see uh, more images and some of the commercial clips I've included. So, again, wherever you're listening to this, whether it's you know Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, there'll be a link to take you to the blog version of this whole thing. So. I wasn't a massive fan, personally, of the Ghostbusters toys, mainly because it was a movie I was never allowed to see when it first came out, so I felt like I made it a point to boycott them. Uh, the truth is, this real Ghostbusters firehouse headquarters from 1987 is pretty awesome. Hopefully you can picture it. If if you're not in the show notes, if you just do a Google image search, just remember. Again, even if you didn't like the movie, this Was a super fun toy play set. The thing was, it wasn't actually based on the movie, but the cartoon, The Real Ghostbusters. And I think the premise with it is you know, every kid wants to be a fireman. So this was the perfect way to experience that at home. It had a ghost pursuit fire pole to slide down, it had a ghost containment unit that you could store ghosts in. And coolest of all, if you remember, it had the goop grate. We'll see that concept of a goop grade again. But this place that actually came with a five ounce can of that ectoplasm play gel, if you remember. And that was amazing as usually and I think from this this perspective, these money hungry toy companies would usually always make you buy these sort of things separately. So the fact that this actually came with this gel goop ectoplasm is pretty incredible so all in all a really awesome playset this one didn't take up a lot of room and it had the bonus that you could swap out any other figures if you wanted this wasn't you know a prerequisite to just use Ghostbusters figures you could use anything with it because it was more of this firehouse setting and really cool okay at number eight is the hasbro gi joe headquarters command center from 1983 this one looks like this sort of armored fortress thing and you're obviously going to see gi joe a few times on this list because they really mastered what a toy playset could be and again th- this one goes back quite a ways a- 1983 and pretty you know rugged, pretty badass fortress playset here. The tagline let us know that this was, quote, fully equipped to fight Destro, Major Blood, and the Evil Cobra Commander, uh, unquote. If you go on, I stumbled across this website as I was putting this together. It's called yojo.com. If you go there, you can see a great breakdown of all the images of this awesome playset. I remember trying to recreate this one. Again, the, the running theme here is that I did not own a lot of these. And I remember putting one together using wood and popsicle sticks. Very, very specifically can remember this. And needless to say, it sucked. This playset had a ton of really cool features, including machine guns, it had cameras, searchlights. It only cost $24.99, uh, but this was in 1983. So if you convert that for today in inflation, it's around $65, which isn't that bad if you think about it for a playset that's that, you know, pretty epic. Uh, But it really did have it all. It had a garage, it had turrets, it had turbines, it had a repair bay. It could also be used with any other brand of action figure because it was such sort of like a, almost like a standard command center. It it didn't necessarily scream that it was GI Joe, even though that's what it was made for. So this worked well with a whole bunch of other toys. And this playset seemed like it was in everyone's house. And... I remember just getting it as either a hand-me-down or... um, I don't know. It just just seemed like one of those toys that everyone had. They had like a beat-up old version of it that their older cousin gave to them. I think that's what I had in that situation. So Kenner is... An interesting story. They were a plucky upstart that took a chance on a random robots and aliens movie in 1977 and ended up being a juggernaut in the toy business. I don't know if you know this story. If you're a fan of toys in the 80s, you've probably heard it before. And it's on that really good, that Netflix series, The Toys That Made Us or The Toys That Shape Us, or whatever, the story of Kenner and Star Wars. So everyone like obviously star wars no one knew what it was going to become and they were pitched george lucas had the foresight to know that merchandising was going to be like the bread and butter of the star wars universe if it was going to catch on in fact for every dollar that a star wars movie has made they've made two dollars in merchandising because of the toys and everything so he was trying to pitch it even before the movie was released but everyone was turning it down and they went, there's stories of him going to specific other companies and I don't know if they're all myths or not, but people either, you know, being out for lunch and, and just missing them and whatever. He ended up going to Kenner and they're like, they don't think this movie is going to be anything special, but they did like the idea of putting out like a modest line of space toys. Uh, that was something they were already pursuing. So like, ah, oh, this could be perfect. they would they put out three or four new characters and then they would connect them to this new Star Wars movie. You obviously know the rest of the story here, but when Star Wars became a monster hit, Kenner was completely caught with their pants down. They had no... Well, no one had any idea of the cultural impact of this movie. They had nothing ready to go. They didn't even have anything... Oh, I'm actually recording this. I never even thought of this. I'm recording this on May 4th, Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. It's probably going to come out the day after, though. And... So Star Wars, though, came out later on in 1977. So they first they didn't have anything ready to go. They didn't even have anything ready for the next Christmas. That's how far behind they were with this whole thing. And it led to if you have heard of this the infamous empty box campaign. And this is where you would buy an empty box with a cardboard display and then send in a voucher to receive the action figures when they were ready. And they dubbed it the early bird certificate package, which sounds like one of the biggest disasters potentially in like consumer kids marketing history, but it actually worked. Kids were obviously so obsessed with this and they wanted any form of toy that they were happy to wait and everyone still bought them with the promise they were going to get these um, early figures. There was a set, I think it's like eight, seven, eight, or nine in that very first release, like the obvious main characters, but there's also a Jawa. There is a Death Star Commander, I think. There is Greedo, I I think in that original eight. They are worth a Obvious fortune. Even those empty boxes, just the cardboard cutouts, um, if you ever had one of those or it's laying around, they're worth a fortune too. Okay, but let's fast forward to 1983 and then Return of the Jedi, and we met the adorable little Ewoks, which were supposed to be Wookiees in the original script, but they just either couldn't put it together or the budgeting and logistics of having all the costumes and these giant performers was just going to be way too difficult. So with this playset, it was a great um, sort of departure from the regular space-based toys uh, being on Endor. And it, it took a playset to more of a natural setting. And the amazing Ewok village depicted in the third and last movie was now something you could take home. Every little kid loved the Ewoks and the idea of being able to like live in that village, very like Robinson Crusoe feel. Um, so it was cool. This thing it had a working net trap, it had a string rope elevator, it had huts, a campfire, it had a boulder attached to a tree limb to use as a weapon. It was a really solid place set. So solid, in fact, that. It it was completely ripped off for the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves toy line. So if you remember that movie and then they put out a line of toys, have a look at it. It's the exact same thing um as the Ewok Village. Alright, let's check out a commercial here for entry number six. Alert alert cobra attack ready to defiance! It! The G.I. Joe Defiant Complex and it's loaded with firepower. Awesome. The Defiance launch base opens to reveal a flight control center. Let's go! Wow. The booster becomes a space station and the Defiant Bay opens for rescue missions. I'll imagine flying to the fight. Go, go! G.I. Joe! Some assembly required. Lift the adventure of G.I. Joe. Defiant complex comes with driver and astronaut. Other figures sold separately. So that is the Hasbro G.I. Joe Defiant Space Shuttle from 1987. This thing is... Unbelievable. A combination of a toy and a toy play set all rolled into one. It's one that I've never actually seen with my own eyes and was quite a mythological toy. I don't know anyone that owned one and I think it only existed in our commercial fantasies. I don't know if you've Had one or saw one, but it was pretty epic. It was so epic. It has its own Wikipedia page. So, this toy is technically made well, playset or whatever you want to call it, it's technically made up of three different vehicles. The first is the crawler unit, which are those enormous rolling machines that transport a space shuttle to a launch site. The second vehicle is the booster unit, which is also like a space vehicle with a crew compartment, computers, and an airlock. Its job is to carry the space shuttle into orbit. Then there is the space shuttle itself. It had different sections, including a cockpit control center, a hatch, and then some other features for use in space, like the umbilical cord to travel around. So this thing was not cheap. It came in at a sweet $129.99 in 1987, or converted for today, nearly $300. I was smart enough not to include any things like this on any birthday or Christmas wish list. It just, that would never happen. It was a popular toy, though, and Hasbro had the foresight to release just the space shuttle a few years later, making it more affordable, and they renamed it the Crusader. This was a truly epic toy playset that captured everything amazing about G.I. Joe, but again combined it with the excitement of the space shuttle program, which was, again, another mind-blowing thing to kids growing up in the 80s. Okay, for number five, we're going all the way back to 1978, and that is the Death Star toy. So it's not technically an 80s toy, but it lasted well into the 80s, and it was pretty much adopted by the decade. As mentioned before about Kenner, even though they were caught off guard at first with the success of Star Wars, they eventually did get their act together. This led them to the release a pretty cool playset set in a very iconic one of you know one of the most famous movie creations ever the Death Star so again if you're on the show notes you have to look this up it's like a little cross section uh like a three or four floor little chunk out of the Death Star so it had a bottom level with an elevator shaft and then that went from top to bo- top to bottom and it it was over 22 inches tall. It's you know it's this vertically designed cross-section. I remember this thing just being the coolest thing in the world. My cousin had one. I remember playing with that very well. The top floor even featured two different scenes from the movie, which was obviously called Star Wars when it first came out. Then it was dubbed A New Hope in subsequent re-releases. So it's got a few sort of weird combinations in it. So either way this had a lot of amazing detail you know not just with those images but specific rooms for the action figures and the most amazing feature might have been at the bottom where it featured the actual working trash compactor so this is pretty nuts but i was looking this up on starwars.com when that Death star toy was first released in 1978 it only cost 18 but you know even with inflation it's around 70 so for one of the best toy playsets ever, that's not too bad. You know, that's not over the top. Like, you know, you could reasonably ask for that for like your big main Christmas or birthday gift. Okay, number four, we are back to G.I. Joe. This is from 1986. It's the G.I. Joe Terror Drum play set from Hasbro. So this was kind of like... Hasbro's answer to the Death Star. This one is an interesting playset because it's uh, it's one that's made specifically for the bad guys, aka Cobra. This can be a risk when putting out a toy, but in the case of GI Joe and Hasbro, it worked. To properly play GI Joe, it you know you need to have all the parties involved. You can only play with them, like I mentioned, on that mud hill in your backyard for so long. You needed. You know, this full experience, you needed the bad guy, you needed Cobra, you needed their lair. Um, you know, G.I. Joe had to go after something. And this was the fortress where Cobra would set up their whole, you know, home base. It had some things like a refueling bay, it had a prison cell, vehicle bays, tower mounted cannons, it had a launch silo. This was a very interactive playset and one of the few ones that actually came with an action figure. In this set, you received uh, an AVAC pilot to fly the Firebat aircraft. That, of course, was sold separately. When this came out in 1986, it would run you around $59.95 or convert it for today $140. Again, if you happen to have one of these things lying around, it is worth a ton. If, if I don't imagine this is ever the case anywhere. It's why it's so much more valuable, but a box version goes upwards of a few thousand dollars. So yeah, have a look in your attic or basement if you have one of those kicking around. So now we're in the top three. Let's play this first commercial here. Make up quiet race! The footer about to ambush the turtle's skewer, but thanks to the turtle periscope, it's no surprise. The footer attacking with their sewer ball. Watch out, Turtles, or you'll wind up in the recovery room. Oh no, Retro-Mute is an noose. The Shredder's up with old trick. And speaking of going up, the Turtles are taking the elevator to street level to make a call on Shredder using their private line. Reach out and crush someone. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from Playmates. So this is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sewer play set that was released by Playmates in 1980. 19- 89, like I personally, I consider the Ninja Turtles, uh, they are a 90s franchise, but you forget they do have their roots in the 80s, uh, you know, with the comic book coming out in the mid 80s and then the original cartoon and then the first few toy lines and specifically this classic toy playset, the underground sewer one of the greatest ever release and it completely encompasses everything about the ninja turtles it was super interactive it didn't seem like a cheap release this is one we actually had in my house um you know, it wasn't something they were just trying to force to get out there as quick as possible. To a kid, I remember specifically, it looked like it took actual thought. Like there's real design that went into it. It, it looked like it was made for the most fun possible. The Ninja Turtle figures were a huge hit, obviously, but they always felt like better value because of their more substantial size while still being in that smaller three and a half inch action figure range. The place playset needed to be big enough then to accommodate them, but then not so big that it would put it out of reach financially. The cool part about this playset was that it was, again, it was a cutaway of an actual city street. You had the sewer down below, but then an actual street above with, you know, telephone poles and fences and everything like that. This is part of the uniqueness and interactiveness of this specific playset by Playmates. It had that periscope through the fire hydrant and then the elevator to take you from street level to subterranean. There was also the sewer grate to throw back from the first one to uh, the Ghostbusters playset where you could pour ooze through the sewer grate on the unsuspecting victim below okay so we're in the top two and it was hard to put these in this specific order i'll explain why okay here's a commercial for entry number two i got it wow here it is the uss flag aircraft carrier imagine being on the deck of this aircraft carrier the uss flag is fantastic it's so big USS flag aircraft carrier comes with what you see here other figures and equipment sold separately so this is of course the hasbro gi joe uss flag the most mythological toy ever created and technically i don't whatever you want to call it a toy playset, whatever the largest thing and the most epic toy that you could that would basically make your head explode this chip toy is the stuff of legend. Again, I never saw one in person. There's a good chance you never saw one in person. I didn't know anyone who owned one. And the closest connection you would get to it was hearing about someone's friend whose neighbor knew someone who, who owned it, which was probably a bunch of crap anyway. But it didn't matter. This was a toy company creating something to make a kid's head explode. And I did an entire show on this thing that's how epic this is and how much work and thought and design and everything went into it. So you can go back into the earlier episodes and check it out. But here's a quick breakdown of this massive playset. set. Again, I, you can't really call it a toy because you couldn't move it. So that's what makes it a real playset. set. It measured in at a whopping 7 feet 6 inches long when it came out in 1985. It came with its own public address PA system. It had missile launchers. It had elevator decks. It even came with a fuel delivery vehicle. Hasbro was even nice enough to throw in one action figure. That was Vice Admiral Keelhaul. This thing is so big and solid that it's made up of the same plastic they use for playground equipment. Some of the individual pieces are two and a half feet long and there are actual support beams to keep this whole thing supported. It had nine different trusses and five separate deck plates, making it big enough to pretty much display every GI Joe action figure and vehicle ever made. Some of the stickers for it were so long that there wasn't enough glue on them to help them keep stuck to the ship. This thing is gigantic is what I'm trying to say. I'm not sure why Hasbro put it out there as they knew it wouldn't be accessible by the average family, not even just price-wise, but because it wouldn't fit in most rooms. Here's the thing though. It wasn't that crazy expensive. It wasn't cheap, but when it came out in 1985, it cost only $109.99. Convert that for today, it's around $260, which is not that bad a value when you consider the size and scope of this monumental thing. I, I think this was more for the kid who had every toy, every G.I. Joe toy and vehicle, and it was like a display unit center for it. Still to this day, I put the G.I. Joe USS flag on my Christmas wish list as a joke because um, as dumb as I, I was as a kid, I knew better than to ask for it. So I uh, it's just this running thing where I continuously it, whatever form of wish, wish list, I still put down the U.S. GI Joe flag, hoping this year is going to be the year, you know, and if I'd got it as a kid, I might've turned out a completely different person. So, okay. So, you know, that's the ultimate place at toy, but I think you'll see why this one at number one is the top place set of the eighties. What do we have here? It's Castle Grayskull. And it's mine. That's so fast, Beastman. He-Man! You can pit He-Man against Beastman, playing for the power of Castle Grayskull. You have to put the castle together. Beastman's escaping! The throne, Dad! Dad, you saved the castle! Castle Grayskull from the Masters of the Universe Collection. He-Man and Beastman each sold separately. From Mattel. So that's my number 1 from 1982, it's Mattel's Master of the Universe Castle Grayskull. And to me it's the greatest toy playset because it's the epitome of what a 1980s toy playset is all about. Castle Grayskull wasn't just a functioning interactive playset, it's a character unto itself. Um I remember I I had a, like, broken version of this I got from someone else. I can't remember exactly where. Or maybe we, f- we got it at a garage sale or something like that. It, it was beat up and, like, what but whatever. It was the closest thing I got to it. What made this thing stand out from all the rest and why I put it in as number one was it was like bringing the cartoon home with you. It looked completely lifted from the show. It didn't look like a cheap facsimile or ripoff. With Castle Grayskull... Mattel perfectly captured the essence and iconic image of one of the most significant things from an 80s cartoon. This was amazing because it, you know, it wasn't just this place that, it, like I said, it was its own character. You could see the skull in the castle's front with a drawbridge entrance that served as its mouth. They beautifully dubbed this the Jawbridge. This, to me, was a real piece of creative work. From there, it was the perfect play set because it was two separate parts that joined together with a hinge. So not only could you open it up to play with it, but you could also close it to store everything in it too. So it also worked uh, just as well as a display unit. You also had some amazing features in it, including the throne room the elevator and the iconic trap door when it came out back in 1982 it sold for $26.99 converted for today it's around 70 bucks so not too bad in the cartoon he-man and the masters of the universe castle greyskull is a mythical location and i really think hasbro was able to capture the spirit of all this and perfectly put it into what i think is the best toy playset. set of the 80s, and possibly of all time too. So I'll finish it up there. Hopefully you like this. Hopefully I've covered your favorites or ones you maybe forgot about. You know, maybe you'd have them in a different order, but that's the way I broke it down from my perspective. But again, thank you for taking the time to listen. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you find your podcast. And I will be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.